This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. Uh, we start today's podcast uh, by offering our sincere condolences to Gareth Barry and his family after the passing of his brother Mark. So from everybody at the Echo, uh, our thoughts are with Gareth and his family at this extremely difficult time. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today I am joined by Adam Jones and Chris Beasley. As we discuss all things Everton, uh, we will be talking, chewing the fat over the departure of David Klassen, who has joined Werder Bremen today in a, an initial £12 million fee. We'll, we'll have to, I'm afraid, discuss Blackburn Rovers and Everton's 3-0 defeat at Ewood Park last night. And also Morgan Schneidlin is on the discussion table today. Huge divisive figure at Goodison. What does the future hold for Everton's Frenchman in the all-important number six position in the Marco Silva era? Um, Adam, we'll start with you, pal, uh, as well as the chairman of the Tim Cahill fan club. You are <laughs> vice chairman of the Davy Classen fan club. Uh, is today a... Disappointing day for you to see Davy Claston walk out the Everton door 12 months to the day since he made his debut. It's truly a sombre moment for me. Now, in all seriousness, I think it's probably the right call to make at this at this point. Look, it, he came to Everton and he was obviously a very quality... He had a lot of world-class quality, I'd say, when he, when he came to the club. He just led Ajax to the Europa League final. He was captain of Ajax at 24. Really young age to be a captain of such a prestigious club. He obviously had bags of talent, but he was probably the one who suffered most from Ronald Koeman's lack of ideas on how to knit together his system last season. I think Klassen was the man who just definitely just didn't fit, and he needed so much time to try and get up to the Premier League standards, like physically as well. That I just think it was it was game time that Everton just couldn't allow him to have. Like we got, we we just couldn't give him the amount of minutes that he needed to physically adapt to English football. And I think even even this pre season he's he's not not exactly pulled up trees as he's looked a bit looked a bit weak. He's he's just not looked quick enough for me. And I and I think whilst I am I'm I'm convinced that he will make a success of it in Germany. I think the German game's just a that little bit slower. He'll be offered that little bit more space in midfield. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him actually performing much better at Werder Bremen, but I still think it's the right decision for him to move on. And I think 12, 12 million, yeah, it's Everton are taking a hit a bit from the fee that we paid for him last summer, but to even get that much, I think, is quite an achievement from Brands. Bees, look, I think I think the majority of us will be honest, honest enough um, to you know, to say <laughs> been on record a number of times as saying it either on this podcast or in print that you know the, the signing of Klassen last summer was somebody that excited us. We thought, wow, there's the Ajax captain. Looks like a really good piece of business. You know, looks like a like a really talented footballer. Looking back, and and, and certainly not trying to uh, rewrite our own history, but looking back, were the warning signs there in that Europa League final? And we spoke about the you know the um, the achievement in him captaining a side that made it. But when he came up against an English side in Manchester United against a physical English side managed by a manager who knows how to you know, kill games and stifle creative players. It was the fact that Klassen was so much on the periphery in that match. When we look back now, was that not a telltale sign of things to come? Yeah, it was quite ominous really for um, the recruitment of 
Ronald Koeman, who I know had gone to watch him during the Europa League campaign. Obviously, usually well connected at Ajax, one of his, his former clubs. So, given that and uh, the fact that they would subsequently bring in Guilfi Sigurdsson and Wayne Rooney, free players, you'd struggle to get within the same time, uh, same team on the pitch at the same time. Yet it, it, it was quite damning. I mean, I spoke to Dutch journalists at the time and they, they certainly weren't um, going out of their way to say, oh yeah, he's going to do this and he's, he's going to do that. They were, they were reserving judgment. People who watched him for several seasons at Ajax, they said, yes, he was very much ingrained in the Ajax style, so while he'd do well for them, he'd not been particularly impressive for the Dutch national team and they wondered as well whether he would be able to, to cut it at, um, at a higher level, which, it, you know, invariably the Premier League is compared to the Dutch League. Here's one for you then, Adam. Hypothetically speaking, say Everton had a um, really well-defined, linear uh, and, and, and clear transfer policy last summer and everybody was on board with one number. Say we didn't go back for Rooney. Say we didn't pay the money Swansea wanted for Guilfi Sigerson and we went, you know what? We've got Klassen in the door. He will be our number 10. Do you think it would have been any different? It might have been slightly different because I think there were, there were the obvious struggles, especially with him and Rooney playing in the same team in those early months in the season. Like Him and Rooney kept getting into the same positions as each other, didn't they? They kept trying to make the same kind of runs. And I think maybe if Rooney wasn't there, he might have been allowed a, a, a bit more space that he definitely thrives in. Like I think... I think as I wrote yesterday, there were like a couple of early signs in his first few games that there was a player there, like the away game against Rosonbaroch. It was his through ball that led through, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin through. Really, really great pass. First game of the season against Stoke. Really good near post run. Allowed the space in for Rooney to score the header. But after that, he just never really clicked on. Like, it, it, it's hard to judge whether he would have made any sort of difference. Like As I say, I think he's just he just needed that time to physically adapt to the English game more than anything else and I don't know he, he's spent a year in England now like training with the team and he just doesn't look any more suited to that so to be honest though I'm not sure he ever would have got up to the English level Chris um, we've been critical over the period of, of former director of football Steve Walsh and, and you know with good reason but is this one actually at the door of Ronald Koeman. Is this actually, you know, one that, that isn't actually Steve Walsh is doing and actually Ronald Koeman needs to take the sort of the blame, if you like, for, for signing Klassen and putting his faith in him and, and, and asking the football club to go and spend the best part of 25 million quid on him? Yeah, we, we, we've been through this a few times, haven't we? Our, our, our Beatles songs are all uh, Lennon and McCartney is officially <laughs> on, on the lyrics for, for each one, but you kind of know which one's a John Lennon yeah. song, which one's a Paul... McCartney song, so it's similar with the, the signings, isn't it? With um, Walsh and um, Cooman, you kind of know which ones definitely one and which ones definitely others, and other ones perhaps a bit a bit of both. Um, but you would imagine coming from the Dutch league, obviously um, Ronald's um, home country, where he's got numerous contacts, acts one of his former teams, you'd have to put Klassen down as a Cooman signing. So in that respect, um, yes. And after he he had got his man through the door, why did they? decide to go on for, for, for Rooney and um, Sigurdsson all, all three very talented players there doesn't seem to be any sort of coherent strategy there as why you needed all of them what I, um, I would say is that um, perhaps different to what Adam was 
saying about him um, not being given a run of games. It, certainly early in the mm. season, he, 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 wasn't, he was in the team and he just never looked like he was going to do anything. Every time he got another opportunity and, OK, second half of the season, there were very few. We were thinking, oh, this is the chance Davy Classen's going to finally make his presence felt or make his mark on something here. And it just it's just never happened. So, yeah, um, R- Ronald has to um, take the rap for a certain extent for this. He was the player who we believe, in his mind, he felt he was going to make um, Ross Barkley's inevitable departure um, that much easier for Evertonians. Um, Classen was seen as the man who was going to be able to pick a pass and take sort of the Barkley roll on and it just it just never happened or never even looked close to happening I think what Klassen's maybe indicative of a problem of across Dutch football rather than just him as a player himself I think well, it's interesting I'm sorry to interrupt there it's interesting because during Ronald's first season he was asked and I was at the press conference I was in the in the breakout when he was asked his question about Dutch players and signing Dutch players and he he quite pointedly said um, that Dutch football I'm paraphrasing here, but Dutch football, uh, the Eredivisie, had become a weaker league and the players weren't effectively tough enough and they weren't strong enough to come and play in the top leagues. Yet, he goes and signs Klassen. So he, he almost went against his own advice. Exactly. It's a, it's a massive error on his part and I think he's absolutely spot on. I think we're looking at that on like the Dutch national team level now. They're not, they're not qualifying for the World Cup. And Klassen's I mean, not even in the squad. Klassen's not even in the squad, exactly. And I think... I just, I just feel like yes, David Klassen didn't didn't work out. Yes, the, it does fall down to him as a player on some levels. But I think the league that he's coming from, the the whole the whole system behind Dutch football now, it just it needs massive change. It seems from from the ground up. Beeson, before we move on from Klassen, you make mm-hmm. a really interesting point. It's something I've been thinking about the last sort of twenty four hours, thirty six hours since you know it looked like Davy was was going to Germany. As you kind of alluded to there, Klassen's arrival and his big money move effectively nudged Barkley out, out the door, didn't he? It really put him on the sidelines. He fell down the pecking order and ultimately resulted in him leaving for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Ross Barkley has got a, would have a, a huge chance of walking back into this Everton team now, wouldn't he? <laughs> um, he, he? He certainly did a lot more at Everton than Davy Klassen ever looked like doing. Um it, it's a strange one. I, I think it's a, it's a non-starter because of what happened, the, the way he left the club, the way he could have gone halfway through the season, but um, sorry, he could have gone at um, the start of the, the season, but then stayed mm. to get fit, and then the club got a lot less for him. So I think it's a non-starter if, if we're going to be talking realistically, but if you're talking hypothetically, yeah, yeah. actually getting... In in the team, yeah, he'd certainly be in with a shout. In that, you know, Ross Barkley on his day is is a hugely talented midfielder who, on many occasions, was very impressive for Everton. But on the flip side of that, the whole question of his decision making and the fact that he he never kicked on. I was fortunate enough to be one of those people who saw him score that amazing goal up at St James's Park against yeah. Newcastle United, ran the length of the field, and then a, the calm finish. Hardly anybody would even be able even within the Premier League, capable of scoring that kind of goal. So he's hugely um, gifted. It was just that the fact that he, he never carried that on and it was sad how it ended for him at Everton. Have we, have we, were we blinded a little bit, Adam, in that respect then to, to, to Ross's situation? Because Ronald had, had been so, you know, initially Ronald anyway, so forcibly adamant that he, he wasn't performing as he should have been and, and wasn't living up to expectations and, and, and that the players that he brought in were superior. But, you know, 
on reflection, was it a mistake selling Ross Barkley? I think it was always going to be a mistake letting him go, but I think selling him became out of Everton's hands at the end of the day. I think Everton fans were extremely harsh with Ross Barkley, and I think that's it's probably it was probably right in some senses, but I think it was harshness out of love, to be honest, because he was because he's a young scouser, isn't he coming coming through at Everton, like. All Everton fans just want to see players like that progress and be the best players that they can possibly be. And it just seemed that Ross Barkley is in a bit of a glass ceiling almost. Like he, like as Chris said, it was it was his decision making that was letting him down a lot of the time. He was dawdling on possession. I, I seem to remember in the final third a lot. So he he all he always seemed to have a bags bags of talent. He could pull a goal out of it, out of absolutely nowhere, and I think Everton are missing that kind of midfielder now. Someone who can pick up the ball from the edge of his own box and power at a defence. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, you, know, you talk. We talk about um, Marco playing four three three, and it looks like he's playing that's adapted slightly to two holding midfielders. Sigurdsson probably is number ten, and he three forwards. Ross could easily do a job, couldn't he? In the in the deeper three, maybe. A- absolutely, I'd I'd say like have a have. Marco's number six that he wants to have, and then have more like a, a Ross Barkley uh, to just pull someone else out of thin air, a Ruben Loftus cheek, let's say mm. that kind that kind of you know box to box player, someone who's powerful, someone who's athletic, someone who's got skill, can score goals, strong in a tackle. Ross Barkley's got all those attributes. It was just that we just never saw it consistently enough, and I think that was eventually why Everton fans. They were obviously bothered in the way Ross Barkley left, but I, I doubt many were bothered that he actually left mm. in the end of the day. Yeah, I thought it was intriguing, really, that we're hearing over at Chelsea now that Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who has been linked with a move to Everton, is actually battling for a place in the side with Ross Barkley. So, I mean, you could, in theory, have a situation there where you've got Barkley, the young scouser, and the lifelong Evertonian at Chelsea, and then Ruben Loftus-Cheek, the, the Londoner who's come up through the Chelsea youth system, being forced to go to Goodison Park. I mean, that would be intriguing. Mm-hmm. Indeed, a penny for Michael Silver's thoughts on Ross Barkley. I'm sure if we asked him, he wouldn't really engage on that question. But nevertheless, <laughs> it would be interesting to think what he would have done if Ross had still been at the football club. Um, of course, David Classen missed Thursday night's friendly Ewood Park against Blackburn Rovers as he was given permission to travel to Germany to tie up a move to Werder Bremen. In his absence, Everton were rubbish. Um, a largely second-string team started the game and were 2-0 down at the break. The cavalry arrived after half-time, Everton improved, but not enough to turn it around and in fact conceded a third. Um, Adam, you know, a significant part of, of, sort of my reflections and I think a lot of the reflections of the supporters after that game was players given yet another chance to impress. Marco Silva cannot be accused of not offering opportunities to players and not giving players a fair crack of the whip, but almost to a man. Did any of them take that chance? Uh, no, <laughs> I would say I would, I would say not. Especially in the first half, I thought you, you can discount Gilfie Sigurdsson. I think because that was his first forty-five minutes of pre-season, you can let let that slide a little bit. But the the rest of them have had like significant amount of minutes in a lot of cases, likes of Sandro, likes of Mohamed Besic, who we talked about on the last podcast, and I was. Banging his drum a bit. I, I, I we thought, played very well against Lille. Well, exactly. I thought he's had a few good games pre-season, but that was 
that was more towards the level that we we would be expecting in England, wasn't it? It was a bit more of a physical encounter. You know, Blackburn were right up for it. Obviously, their season starts a week before Everton, so they were they were right up for it. It's they no were, excuse for Everton's performance, though, is it? Well, exactly. They like, they were, they were fitter, they were hungrier. They just they wanted seemed to want every single second ball more than Everton. And I think you mentioned in a, in the live blog yesterday that Mohamed Besic was constantly giving the ball away and you just you just can't have that like even in pre-season you, you, you can't have that so it was a good fitness exercise if nothing else but mm. I, I think that that was it the only the only players for me who came out of that with anything positive about them were Seamus Coleman and Charlton I think yeah no agreed mate um Chris you know, and, and and spoke about it in, t- in today's uh, today's stuff or last night's stuff. Marco wants two players for every position to to provide competition. Um, now, obviously, it's it's almost like a managerial utopia having twenty two outfield players in this squad who are right at it, are really at top level. But nevertheless, you would want and expect, and and Marco will want this, the understudies to be applying pressure to the f- to the first choice. On the back of last night's performance, and largely what we saw against Lille with the odd exceptions. Are you growing concerned that actually we're nowhere near having that level of competition that he wants? Yeah, certainly, like I say, the, the second eleven isn't there. It's, it's, it's not like it was maybe a generation ago where if you did well and avoided injuries, you know, you'd win the league with 14 players. It's, it, you do need two quality options in, in each position and... Certainly, Everton don't have the backup in so many areas there. I mean, uh, the, the young lad, Anthony Robinson, was playing left-back, but essentially, Leighton Baines is the only recognised left-back in the squad. He's been as good as anybody in that position over the years for, for the club, but, you know, he's going to be 34 years old in, in December. Missed a chunk of last season because he, he probably got overloaded early in the season because he was having to play every week because there was no alternatives. Um, and that's the case in, in several um, positions um, like I said there, we heard earlier in the summer that they were after another centre back remains to be seen whether they get somebody in there whether it's Yerimina or not or anybody to um, to fill that void and obviously we've talked about the, the midfield as well or even support um, for, for Tosin whether Rochalison is deemed to be sufficient for that um, but um, yeah, that's uh, in, in several key areas. I think the the idea for Everton over what's left of the transfer uh, window is it is quality rather than um, quantity. We, we don't want like last season where there was a flurry of signings and when the dust settles, you think well, what we've we got here, we've got three number tens and no left back. You need to get those players in the key areas. But it is um, it's telling that there there are gaps still in there, definitely. I think Chris is absolutely right to to preach quality over quantity and I know it's something that Marco had spoken to us about you know saying quality has to be there for us to make signings but he equally said he could make up to six signings but obviously it would depend is it almost not now looking like a necessity that they get as many players in as possible honestly before last night I'd have said no but then looking at last night's performance I I would have to say yeah there's there's so many Areas that I that I would pinpoint, like Chris has already mentioned, centre back and left back as two massively important areas. I'd argue a central midfielder. Is I, would, I would say it's emerging as almost as equal a priority as the other two you mentioned there, mate. Exactly, yeah. and I know we're going to speak about Schneiderlin later, so I won't I won't go too much into that. I'd say a backup goalkeeper 
I I think I don't I'm not sure Martin Stecklenberg's good enough. I wouldn't be comfortable if Pickford got injured and we had let's say four or five game run with Martin Stecklenberg and goal. We've we've not had the chance to speak to Martin yet this summer, but from what you've seen and what you feel, does his heart look in it? No. No, not at all. I think I think he was maybe disheartened of being third choice last season behind Joel Robles, even though I think that was the right call. And you know, how old's he now? Thirty seven ish? Thirty six, thirty seven. Possibly, mate, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a player in his position, I'd, I'd just be looking for a paycheck, to, to be honest. Mm. Like, Talk of Lille obviously being interested, mm. um, you know, and obviously he knows that there's nothing down for him because Jordan Pickford is number one and it would take something catastrophic yeah. for him not to be number one at any point. Uh, exactly, it'd take an injury for him to be even playing. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, Marco obviously wants to work with three goalkeepers, so that could be an area, but Chris, we will move on then to Morgan Schneidlin and the all-important number six role. Is Morgan, is he doing enough to be the number six? Is he doing enough to uh, win back supporters? Is he doing enough to convince you that his heart is in it? I think that's the key issue that when you mentioned the winning back the supporters in that that situation got to very damaging levels at various points. It was toxic, Massive. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. When when he got when he got booed at, at Goodison Park. Um, it was it was bizarre how quickly um, it escalated. But I think the one thing that Evertonians won't take is that if they think a, a player isn't pulling his weight, no matter how good he is, that's why someone like Umar Nias is always popular because whatever you think of him as a player, whether you think he's good enough or not, he always gives a hundred percent. So he'll always get the, the backing of the supporters. And that's what we had with Davy Classen to a certain extent as well, where he, nothing was going for him, but they could see he was giving his all, so they they get behind him. Whereas with Morgan Schneidlin, who'd had actually a very positive start to um, his time at Everton the back the second half of the pre- previous season looked a real Rolls Royce of a player mm. and it really promising partnership with Idrissa Gay looking um, forward so the way that went backwards um, I'd say that um, I'd be more concerned about the situation with the fans if you can get them back inside rather than the performances um, I think there has been an upturn again his, his form has improved certainly not to the levels that it was in the those opening few months but yeah I'd be more concerned of whether because if you've lost those fans it's very hard to get them back Adam is, is the issue though now with Morgan Schneiderlin not in pre-season when results don't matter and there's nothing on the table per se in terms of points and, and what have you in league positions but is the issue with Morgan Schneiderlin when the chips are down mm. when things aren't going right under Marco when we've lost four on the spin and we're up against it at Old Trafford. Because the managers kept saying, Allardyce certainly said it, and I think Cuban said it, is they'd taken a knock in confidence mm. during that, that, that really difficult spell last season when we were atrocious. But he's your, he's your central midfield player. Mm. He's the number six at Everton at the minute, the, the first choice number six. And there's question marks over where we can rely on him to, to knuckle down and dig in when it gets when it gets nasty. Is that a is that a real concern? I think that's the biggest concern, and I think Everton fans realise that. Look, Everton fans aren't stupid. Like he's he's come into the club uh, when we definitely needed a player of his capabilities back in January 2017, and for those few months he was absolutely incredible. He was obviously trying to prove himself after what he thought was being treated badly at Manchester United, and it just looks like 
the, his time at Manchester United is now repeating itself at Everton. Like he, when he first joined Man United from Southampton, he had a spell where he was really looking good. And then, obviously, he gets dropped a few times. His head goes down. Maybe his attitude starts turning a bit in training. And all of a sudden, he was left on the sideline. The problem was, for Everton last season, we weren't really in a position to drop him. Like he was one of our best quality players in that position. We had to keep playing him. But obviously, his attitude had gone at that point. He was still... It was petulant throughout most most of those games. You know, you saw him getting sent off, putting in stupid challenges, and Everton fans just aren't going to stand for that. And I think it came towards the end of the season when he knew there was probably going to be a new manager at Everton. There might even be a chance for him to look for a new club in the summer. He started picking up his performances again, and I think Everton fans can see through that. So there's definitely a lot of fans to still win over, and I'm not sure he's necessarily been doing that in pre-season. I think he's still putting in a few mad late challenges and like even in these pre-season games and it's just I'd, I'd love to see him putting in a bit more effort you know like like we've been seeing from the likes of Mohamed Besic or Sandro in the first few games of pre-season you know at least putting your heart and soul into trying to prove to the manager look I deserve to be in this position I am the best player in this position you need to give me the chance but I'm not sure he's necessarily put, putting his stamp on that role at all and if I was Marco Silva I'd be thinking well can I find someone better to, to play that role mm, Indeed, I, I think we've seen flashes Chris and glimpses of, of how he could operate in that and how he could do that job for Silva I think we've seen moments of it but it's not been consistent enough but just going back to the issue of heart if you want for a better phrase and, and, and that ability to dig in is it difficult to tally the the the, the doubts over Schneidlin and the Schneidlin we saw at times last season, tally that with the fact that he's a player that came from Strasbourg and, and then worked his way up the levels in England. You know, it wouldn't have been easy in League One you know, and certainly in the Championship. Yet yet now we're questioning whether he's got he's, he's got it, you know, you know where it counts and he, and, and, and he can grit his teeth. Yeah, it's not like he'd been a, a pampered player at the likes of Manchester United for his whole career. That had only been the last couple of years, like you said. He came to Southampton when they were lower down and, and helped them move up the, the divisions. So he certainly had to see the the um, the less glamorous side of football in, in England. And he is the sort of person, given his his, um, his CV, who you'd hope would be able to to roll his, his sleeves up. It's not that um, he shies away from the physicality. He's not like classing in that he can't handle the physicality English game. That's almost like, as Adam says, the problem that he will throw in a reckless challenge at times. There was that awful moment at, at Leon when they were heading out to the Europa League, and it's almost like he, he he never would deliberately get sent off. But that's what it seemed like at the time. Like oh, he's no thrown the towel. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, um, it, there shouldn't be uh, there shouldn't be an issue with that. So that makes you wonder: is, is it a problem with attitude? I mean, when I've met Morgan Schneidlin, he's, he's been a perfect gentleman. He's been articulate. And he, he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's been great, um, but I don't know what he's like behind those closed doors at Finch Farm and whether there is a, a deeper issue because, I mean, with different managers last season, there, were, there, was, a pro- there was a problem with, with a few of them. So, you know, it is a concern. So do we still go and buy a number six regardless, Had? I mean, for me personally, I'd say so. Like, I think Morgan Schneiderlin is suffering from a similar problem as a lot of the squad in that we know how good he can be as a player but he just doesn't seem to be putting in the effort to make himself that good again so I I, I think a, a new signing could be perfect someone like a 
an Abdullah Decore, for example, from Watford. I think someone someone a bit more dynamic, someone a bit more energetic, a bit more pace in that in that area, but obviously still with the qualities to be able to collect the ball from the centre backs, spray it out to our creative midfielders and get us back on the front foot. I, th- I just think we could, we could do with a bit more defensive now. And I'm not I'm not sure Schneiderlin particularly has been showing that for me a year or so now interesting you mentioned defensive now because obviously Marco had spoke about that, that middle that midfield three is either being uh, two holding and one forward or one sitting and two maybe more attacking but perhaps it would seem that uh, Marco is not yet confident enough in Morgan's defensive abilities to play him there by himself because he's always had Tom Davis or uh, last night Idrissa Guy came on didn't he mm. uh, and played him there Um whether Watford would do any more business with Everton uh, <laughs> remains to be seen. For Decore, I'm sure he'd be a firm favourite with Evertonians if anything materialised on that. But we did do business with the Hornets this week when we completed the sign of Richarlison uh, and he made his uh, first appearance in Royal Blue last night at Blackburn, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, came on at half-time. Um, what was your feelings about his performance? Um, like you said, the, the problem was that the, the game... Was, was almost lost okay they could have come back but the fact that the damage had been done before the break um, I, th- I think it was just a, a case of getting out there and um, getting amongst his new t- teammates certainly get g- getting that understanding um, what I was told about Richarlison um, this week by a, a Brazilian journalist who I know um, a good friend of mine Rodrigo Calvozo grew up together didn't you yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, was, um, in the favelas yeah um, he was telling me that the good thing about Richarlison is uh, uh, like uh, Marco Silva actually said that not a typically Brazilian player in that he has a certain toughness uh, mm. uh, and ability to deal with the physical challenges that you might get in the English game whereas uh, he's, he's not like Neymar in that respect Um what he liked about him was he says a very clever player who could bring the best out of a, a centre forward, and that's a situation. Obviously, we've got um, uh, Everton there with uh, with Tosin, flashes of brilliance uh, um, in his first couple of months um, showed what he is capable of doing. But obviously, Everton need him doing that on a consistent basis in in the, in the months ahead. So if if Richarlison could um, get that understanding with his his runs bringing that space for, for Tosin to work into, I mean, that, that'd that be perfect. I'd, um, I suppose similar question to you, you know, Richarlison, as Marco promised, popped up in all three positions last night across the forward line, um, came close to scoring twice, um, took some, you know, took some heavy challenges but got up. Uh, are you happy with what you saw? Yeah, yeah, I, I think in general I am. I think Chris is right, the sheen was took off it a little bit, the, the fact that he was coming on. 2-0 down at half time but I think from the first moment he came on like he started off on the on the left and I think he had good link up play with Leighton Baines who was getting up and down that line he obviously obviously was trying to look to cut inside onto that right foot a lot of the time and I think he really should have got an assist when he that amazing outside of the boot cross onto Tosin you'd expect him to be doing a bit better there but he he, he just struck me as someone who's being so direct like he got he got one one where he tried to chip the keeper into the far post and try and uh, just nick the ball into the far corner, which is, you know, could you imagine any other Everton player doing that? Like I, I certainly couldn't. Like he just, he just looked hungry for the ball at all times. Like whatever position he was playing in, he was making a run to make himself available for the ball. If he had the ball, he was right. He was like, right, is someone in a position to score? Can I score? Th- those were his first two thoughts, and I think. 
it's a breath of fresh air for Everton fans to see someone like mm-hmm. that. And I think if if the rest of the Marco Silva signings are going to come in and be quite as impressive, I think that bodes well. And Chris, just just picking up on then what you, you'd said, and as our Samba football correspondent, <laughs> um, do you think Richarlison's end up a part of a new breed or a different breed of Brazilian players? Do you think he's almost? In, um, God, and I do not want to be <laughs> comparing him to Ronaldo, and, and please don't suggest that I have. But in terms of that, you associate certain abilities and styles with Brazilian footballers. But but Ronaldo was a tough cookie, mm-hmm. and you know you look at Firmino across the park. He's not what you would traditionally describe as a Brazilian player. You know he plays up there by himself. He, he's he's a, he's a he's a tough operator, isn't he? Is Richarlison in that bracket in that almost new breed of Brazilian players that can cut it in the Premier yeah. League? Yeah, it, that's definitely a phenomenon because that was a, a, another thing that um, Rodrigo was speaking about. He was actually using it as a negative and from his point of view that Brazilian players were playing less as Brazilians because they were being brought out of the country from a much younger age. Um, obviously, um, Richarlison came a year ago um, to Watford and people were a bit surprised that he'd gone to a lesser club like Watford, but he said, I want to get that experience in Europe from a younger age. Um Firmino again wasn't too well known back in Brazil because again he'd come to Europe and only played for a smaller club back in Brazil so you can look at it both ways whereas Brazil are disappointed when it comes to the World Cup and they're not playing with that same sort of panache and that flair that we've associated them with in the past but on the flip side of that from the European point of view because they are coming over here from a younger age they're having to toughen up and and learn the discipline of uh, the the European style of play so it swings and roundabouts on the one hand they, um, hopefully he can still create those moments of magic that we all want to see. Adam mentioned last night there was a, a chance uh, that perhaps not the many players would have the vision to have. Hopefully he can have the uh, the best of both worlds in that respect. And I think that's important for Everton next season because ultimately, if we're going to be realistic, they probably can't climb the table that much, but the fans just want to be entertained at Goodison Park on a, on a weekly basis and actually enjoy going on that match day experience. Because you also, as you wrote about this week, Chris, um, we've had a rather checkered history with the boys from Brazil, haven't we? So maybe finally we found an almost European Brazilian, if that makes sense, you know what I mean? And you're a Brazilian footballer who's actually suited to the European game. Yeah. What, what, whereas uh, Richardson's quite different than the other ones, and that he is a big sign and he's one of the biggest signings in Everton's history and the expectation levels will go with that. Whereas in the past, if Rodrigo was was on loan, unfortunately he got an injury early on and hardly played. Anderson Silva was a very strange one in that they seemed to put a lot of effort into signing him but then only gave him two minutes of action before he was um, loaned out. Joe was a Brazilian international, the only Brazilian international they'd have. But again, after a flurry of early goals, he, he was very much looked like a, a luxury player. And after a, a long um, barren streak, um, David Moyes was only too glad to get shut of him. So he's, he's very different in his profile and that, you know, he's a major signing, whereas the others were kind of like taking a punt, really. And obviously Richarlison is different to uh, one Brazilian who actually did end up signing. Uh, you know, he did. He has signed for the football club. And like, uh, reminds me, Muller, Chris? Oh, um M- Muller, of course, uh, this guy is going back um, now. Yeah, back in 1994, the, the short-lived uh, Mike Walker era, when um, overseas signings were very much um, a, an exotic luxury at uh, Goodison Park. Um, they just brought in um, Daniel Amacacci, and I think it was just before they ended up getting big dunks, so and that would have been an interesting. I wonder if Muller had signed. We'd never have a, a Duncan Ferguson at the Blues, possibly, so wow. it was around... Around about that time, and yeah, uh, he actually got as far as making his way into Goodison Park, and then 
it all f what f um, fell flat because the um, the contract he'd agreed was uh, pre-tax and uh, uh, yeah there wasn't much wriggle room in that one. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> likes paying tax though, do they? Um, Adam, before we before we wrap up and just uh, you know just on the South American theme, um, it's clear that Marcel Brands. Uh, it's been a market that he explored extensively when at PSV, who traditionally have done so anyway. And it does appear that, maybe not directly at the minute, but South American players are, are players that, that Marcel wants Everton to look at. Of course, Yeri Mina has been a target. We, we we get the feeling, unfortunately, that that's, that's some way off as it stands now, but we'll try and get a firm update on that. But obviously, Richarlison has come in. Do you expect now that Everton will be looking at more South American players, whether or not they're in Europe already, or, uh, or playing back in their homeland? I think I, you have to say, looking back at Marcel Brands' history and his time in Dutch football, you'd have, you'd have to say, yeah. I mean, I think the big one that will stand out for Everton fans that everyone will know about is Herving Lozano. We took to PSV with him. we yet to be seen whether he's going to move anywhere this summer. But I think it's definitely a market that Marcel Brands knows extremely well. And if... Everton can find the right players like in the South American market, let's say, or maybe South American players playing uh, in Europe already. I think it's it's a market that is isn't really exploited that well in the Premier League. I'd say Premier League teams seem to go for like teams like players from already in England or France, Spain, Germany. I'm not sure. I'm not sure many Premier League teams are having a proper look at the South obviously American the, market. There are obviously work permit issues, getting younger mm. players who haven't necessarily played for the national team out of those countries, but yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think having someone of Marcel Brands' ob obvious knowledge of, of that kind of market, I think that's only going to be a benefit for Everton, especially in this tra this tra kind of window where we're going to need a lot of quality players. Like To be, a to be able to have that string on your bow, it's, it's obviously going to be a massive positive. Absolutely, and if uh, Everton buy more Brazilians, we're all going to have to uh, take Portuguese lessons, I think, aren't we? <laughs> so otherwise they'll not be able to uh, understand our questions in the mix zone. But thank you very much for listening to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. Uh, I'll be in France tomorrow to cover Everton's uh, latest pre-season friendly against Rennes. Uh, so you can follow us online. Uh, we produce live blogs and analysis, ratings, you name it, and... Uh, hopefully speak to uh, somebody afterwards. Um, so stay with us across the weekend. We'll, we're chasing updates on Mina, uh, Lucas Dinier and all the other Everton targets and the uh, ins and outs as well as, you know, we're expecting more departures as uh, Marco and Marcel look to reshape the blue squad ahead of the season opener on August 11th against Wolverhampton Wanderers. So thanks very much for tuning in and uh, stay with us next time. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.